Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. My name is James Gill. I am the MC at the multi-award-winning comedy nights, Always Be Comedy. I'm joined, as always, by my comedy husband, Always Be Comedy's very own, Tim Lewis. Hello, Tim Lewis. Hello, James Gill. The Always Be Comedy podcast is where we sit down with a guest and they curate what would be their dream comedy gig. Who would open? Who would close? What sort of gigging nightmare that they've experienced must not, under any circumstances, happen at this fantasy comedy gig? It's all this and so much more. And by so much more, we often mean quite a lot of gossip. Hello, welcome to the Always Be Comedy podcast. We're joined today by Janine Haruni. Janine Haruni. Tim Lewis. Um, so, what had happened was... Janine has played Always Be Comedy multiple times down the years. Janine is a good dude. And I always ask how you pronounce an act's name. And Haroni Her- like Peroni is always the the thing to help to help me. And then jump cut to the podcast. And what do I start off with? Haruni. And then panic kicks in. So it's a weird way to start a podcast. Panic kicks in. <laughs> At the end, and I say to Janine, oh gosh, I've been calling you Haruni, and I know it's Haroni. And then it transpires that a family member has said to Janine, it's pronounced Haruni, not Haroni. So, Tim, it's a bit of a cop out, but both are right. Both are, I guess, both are right. I don't know. She seems to accept either. So, I'll take that. She was very kind. Very patient. <laughs> patient is the word. Um, so I, my name is James Gill, two syllables. I've had, even with James Gill, I've had... Uh, Tim, you know I've got a routine on this, but I mustn't do... You don't want me to do the routine, obviously, as I, as I look at Tim and he's setting fire to himself. I, I uh, think you what, can use it, use it as an example. Okay, so I, I've had James, an MC once brought me on as James Gill. Uh, and then another MC once, I'd never met this MC before in my life. They introed me, I'm behind, behind this curtain at a gig in, I think it was Kentish Town. And the MC goes, oh, really good friend of mine. I, I, I love this guy. I love hanging out with him. You're going to love him. Please welcome my great friend, Andy Gill. <laughs> oh, dear. 
And then the best, the best of all, open mic circuit. So there's been James Gill, Andy Gill, open mic circuit, upstairs at the Queen's Head, Denman Street, uh, an MC. The open mic nights, 20, you know, you can have 20 acts on a bill doing five minutes. And the MC looks down at the piece of paper and they go, oh my gosh, your next act is, uh, it's actually one of my favourite acts. And I'm stood waiting on thinking, this is nice, what a lovely tribute. One of my favourite acts, I, I, oh my God, I, I love this act. And then as they're about to bring me on, they look at the piece of paper again and go, oh no, sorry, no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> it's just... No, it's uh, it's Andy Jill. Look, lovely. Look, come on. It needed the callback. If there's that was. every mistake you can do, MC, I think they've nailed that. Every single thing they can get wrong, they did. That is a beauty, though, isn't it? Imagine that before yeah. you. Uh, and then there's the, the there's the Tom Davies story that I know we've told on a recent ep, where an MC basically announced <laughs> bad news to the crowd. <laughs> And then brought Tom on. Oh my gosh! They announced bad news to the crowd. The crowd. Tom Davies walked on to to the sound of a crowd going. Oh. <laughs> um. Anyway, Janine, uh, a, a, a phenomenal comedian and on tour in the new year. Tim Janine has the magical thing where when when she walks on stage. There is that that stardust is in the air. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. An absolute star. A star off stage and screen, as we talk about. Uh, I got to see her a lot during Edinburgh and in the run up to this year's Edinburgh. And the show is just exceptional, as as everyone agreed, because it got a bloody nom. Yeah. Janine Haroon's new show, Manouche, is just exceptional and it's imperative you go see it you've nailed that there as well because relatively speaking janine hasn't actually been going that long and yet what has been achieved in that time is is incredible the tv credits uh, not just the stand-up appearing as herself but then also the acting as well which we get onto as an absolute bona fide batman anorak okay i'm wearing a captain america jumper today but nevertheless <laughs> I showed Janine my Batman toys, <laughs> my God. And the fact that she didn't end the interview there and then is a testament <laughs> to her as a human being. So the, the, the tour, if you visit janineharuni.com slash gigs, um, gets underway. I mean, there's, a, there's been a Soho run in December, but then gets underway. The Lowry, the iconic Lowry in Manchester, 14th of January, then on to Reading, Liverpool, Birmingham, and on and on and on. So do visit janineharuni.com. Uh, ends 26th of February in Dublin at the Sugar Club. Uh, but there's also Brighton, Bristol, London, Canterbury. Oh, my gosh, the iconic Leeds City varieties. Uh, anyway, janineharuni.com. You are in for a treat. And the support act, very smart team, Mr. Haruni as the support it's honestly <laughs> it's one of the smartest things i've ever seen she's just had a baby as also also as discussed in the episode and it's the smartest way to handle that i've ever seen well i mean it's, that's up for grabs i suppose that's tbc 
That's TBC, yeah. But either way, you'll see the fantastic Andrew Nolan supporting Janine on this tour. He's a he, he's a nice dude. And then also, Sunil Patel was saying at a recent gig uh, about what an innovative uh, filmmaker he is as well. Yeah, absolutely. He's really got his own thing. He's really, I mean, it's really worth checking out, actually. If you haven't seen The Batman with Robert Pattinson, I, I love that movie. As we talk about in the episode, Phil Wang and I went opening day and uh, Janine has a sizable role in what is a very good superhero movie. We were there, IMAX, popcorn in hand. Oh, it was it was a special moment. In fact, it's not very interesting, but I'm sort, I've sort of committed to it now. Off the back of that, I bought Phil Wang, the Robert Pattinson Batman. Uh, here it is. I realise that this isn't much use on a podcast, but I bought I bought Wang the. That is a good. That's a solid Batman team. That's a very solid Batman. You you know Batman more than I do, but look, if you say it's solid Batman, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree. Um, if if any listeners have ever fancied getting into reading the comics, please don't stop listening to the podcast. Um, <laughs> get into the. Uh, the, the the Scott Snyder Greg Capullo run, oh, pretty much perfect. Anyway, sorry, back on track. So yes, Janine, uh, do check her out. If, if hopefully coming to a town near you, and if not, uh, absolutely get in the car and go see Janine Haruni. Tim, the, the a lot of correspondence off the back of the Alex Horn episode of the podcast. Taskmaster entries have already started coming in. Tim, what do listeners need to do? So this was a task set by the Taskmaster's assistant himself, Mr. Alex Horn. They have to get a selfie with the most knees in them. I've already heard some ideas. There's some fantastic ideas going around and the entries we've seen, some a high bar already. I would say I'm I am saying this to as some sort of challenge to you. There has been at least one entry where I saw it and thought that's gonna take some beating. Yeah. And I know which one you mean. So yeah. You know which one I mean. It's very smart. It's yeah. very good. But please do keep them coming in. Please please rise to the challenge that has been set. Um and yes, email in the team at always be comedy or share across the socials or email uh, on our Tim. I know they gave you a personal email address. <laughs> the team, the team at always be comedy dot com. Uh, excitingly, you, you're right. You're going to like this, guys. Excitingly, we've launched merch, right? You can buy always be comedy mugs. There'll be more merch to come in 2024 T-shirts and what have you. We're going to let you into a secret. We we badly oh my god look you live and you learn right life is a learning curve and I hope this makes you laugh <laughs> but we I went to the post office <laughs> I went to the post office this week to post out mugs to the podcast listeners who've bought the mugs alwaysbecomedy.com and oh god the the woman in the local post office is a real cough drop she's very funny. And uh, we've put £3.50 at the time of recording as the cost to send for postage and packaging. 
And if you knew how much the, the mugs cost to buy, oh, God. Put it this way, <laughs> we're not retiring off the mugs. So I said to the woman, uh, right, I want to post them this way. She went, yeah, that's eight, it's something like £8.50 a mug. And I went, what? And she went, yeah. And I went, oh, God. I went, tracking? She went, I think it was £4.50. I'm like, oh, my God. No, no, it wasn't. It was, it was something like £5.50. And I went, sending first class? And it's something like £4.19. And, oh, God. Anyway, if you, <laughs> if you would like to buy a mug where, from an economic point of view, we barely wash our face, <laughs> please do. Um, we, may, we may have changed the cost of postage by the time this episode comes out. Oh, man, you've got to laugh. But as I walked out of the post office, uh, Tim, uh, I phoned Tim on the walk back, and it was basically me just laughing for about a solid minute. But like, You know, and you're laughing a bit too hard. Um, it, was, it was that sort of laugh. But, um, yeah, you, you, you live and you learn. It's quite funny, Tim, because when we put, it's myself, Tim, and, and Mrs. Gill, uh, working on the merch, and we we agreed on three pound fifty. But I'll be honest with you, Tim. I don't know what you thought, but when we put three fifty, I thought, oh, that might be a bit steep. Didn't realise that it was actually operating at a loss. Um, but that's 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 surely that's endearing stuff, Tim. Yeah, it's it's a learning process. It's our first foray into merch, and yeah, it turns out uh, it's very expensive to send mugs. <laughs> Uh, Jack D once told me a story, him and his wife, it reminded me of this, him and his wife, he, he, Jack, we're very lucky, plays uh, Always Be Comedy, and uh, he said uh, him and his wife started this comedy night years ago, and uh, there ended up, there weren't enough people in for the gig to go ahead, they felt, and so they refunded everyone, and then on the drive home, one of them's driving, the other one's totting up the money, and they went, <laughs> how have we lost so much money all we did was just like refund tickets that were bought and then they realized that they'd sold tickets at concession price and then refunded everyone oh full price. god oh god but you know what it all turned out quite well for jack d yeah <laughs> yeah he didn't quit comedy van van like i would have well i mean he nearly quit he did nearly you might, you might know this story already, and the story is a true story. Jack D was like, it was almost like a cheeky, chappy type character and sort of realised that comedy wasn't for him. And so quit comedy and then had a couple of gigs left in the diary. I think it was the last ever gig he was ever going to do. And he turned up in a bad mood. I mean, this is glorious. Turned up in a foul mood instantly took a dislike to to the night the way it was run the mc and sort of took this energy well i mean you, you already know where that story's going took this grumpy energy because it was it was authentic grumpiness it wasn't fake grumpiness took it onto the stage and the rest as they say is history uh what a guy in fact tim i would say that jack d's most recent performance always be comedy was one of my highlights of 2023 and if you would like to hear more always be comedy highlights lowlights and a whole lot more we are putting out a festive bonus episode uh and it's it's a very festive look back on the year um and that will be coming out shortly and it will hopefully make you feel a bit more 
Christmassy. Yeah, we we've got some things planned. It'll be out next week, and I'm really looking forward to it. And also, Tim doesn't know this yet, but he, well, he does know that there's a twist. There's a twist in store, but Tim doesn't yet know what it is. So something to look forward to. Um, okay, poor Tim's face. Uh, <laughs> oh, in no, the I meantime, <laughs> in the meantime, please welcome the maestro, the great Janine Haruni. Uh, we're joined by the great Janine Haruni, who is on who is on tour imminently when this comes out. Janine, I would say that this would make the perfect Christmas present, uh, a, 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 the, the, the gift of laughter. W- would you agree? Christmas, Hanukkah, the whole shebang. Yeah. <laughs> Take your pick. Uh, whatever you've and done. There's eight, there's eight days of Hanukkah, so you could buy a ticket to each city of my tour if you wanted to. That's a lovely bit of business. Um, can, now, can you talk, talk us through it? Um, I know it's hard, it, it is hard. We just said before the recording, it is hard to explain uh comedy or a, or a tour or what have you but can you someone who's who's looking to buy tickets to the tour janine what what would they expect from the show um well it's a good show it got nominated uh, at the edinburgh fringe festival for best show so it's objectively good it's gotten the it's gotten the old nom please cut that bit <laughs> <laughs> no that's good i'm nodding away i'm like yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> Um, I'm really bad at selling myself. I've been told that many times, but let, let, let's, the show is, um, so the show goes through the, the, the journey of my pregnancy. I've just had a son. Uh, he's three months old as of yesterday. He just went and had his vaccine today. His second vaccine is so very, very sick. So I'm half of my brain is like oh. in the other room thinking about him. Yeah. But, um, the show is about the journey towards pregnancy and all the sort of bumps along the way that happen. Um, I speak about a miscarriage that I had, uh, which is the reason why I ended up doing the fringe at nearly nine months pregnant, because I was originally supposed to do the fringe after I'd given birth, but that pregnancy um, didn't go to full term. And so when I got pregnant again, I thought, I think when you have a miscarriage, you sort of assume you're going to have another miscarriage. And so I thought, well, I'll just carry on. You know, this probably won't work out. And then it did. And I did the fringe at excruciatingly painful levels of pregnancy. <laughs> I think I gave birth maybe nine days after I got home from the fringe. Do you think the, do you think the, the, the son was such an avid lover of your comedy that he thought, I'm, I'm holding on. The people need to see this show. I'm not, I'm not spoiling this party for anyone. And also... I know I've got a feeling that there's a sweet, sweet nom along the way here. I think actually what happened was he so he would he was a real kicker in the old womb there. And then whenever and people were like, how is it doing the show that pregnant? Can you feel the baby moving around? And whenever I was doing my show, he was just completely asleep. And I've realized now that if I want to put my son to sleep now that he's born, I just need to do my hour. He is not a fan. He finds it very boring. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get this baby sleep. Andrew, pass me that microphone. Come on. Let's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Let's work through the hour one more time. That is absolutely outstanding. 
Oh my god, that might be the. Can I just say that might be the earliest that uh, we've got we've got the clip to promote the podcast. Okay. <laughs> Haruni, there's a new record being set there. Um, that is incredible. Now look, um, I, I I cannot. I'm not even going to pretend to know what what it uh, must be like to be to be pregnant because I nearly said, oh, we we we. Uh, had children. M my wife very much did all of the heavy lifting. However, can I just say for any men that are listening, please stop saying we're pregnant. We we are not pregnant. We. She is pregnant. Oh you occasionally God. run to the shops to buy crisps. Yeah, we. I've I've definitely found myself in the past. You know, we we gave birth. No, we 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 did no. not give birth. Absolutely not. No. No. Um, no, no. But you know, I, I would say that some comedians, crikey. I can think of a few comedians who struggle to uh, turn up to a gig because they've got a, a poorly knee or what have you, or because the back's giving them jip. So how, how was that to get through the month? I mean, that is, that's a swing of the bat. I mean, I needed to be pushed. It's such a hilly city, Edinburgh, if people have ever been there, it's so not flat. And so at one point my sister-in-law came to visit to see the show and she has had given birth to two babies and she knows what it's like. And so as I was walking up a hill, she just sort of placed her hand on my lower back and just kind of pushed me up because I was, I mean, I looked like Danny DeVito when he played the penguin. I just like skinny <laughs> legs and this huge belly. I I normally wear a suit on stage, but I didn't do that with um, this show because I bought a maternity suit and I just straight up looked like the penguin. So I just couldn't do it. <laughs> Now, I, I wanted to save this question for later on, but I feel like my, my hand has been forced there. With the, with the, we'll get back to the show, but while the penguin is fresh in my mind, I told you at the time, Phil Wang and myself are absolute Batman anoraks. Oh, so the, oh yeah. But it, look, Janine. So I, I this is I'm 45 years old, and I collect these Batman toys still in the uh, still in the case there. That's uh, adorable. It, 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 thing, crucially crucially it's cool if it's still in the case if it was out of the case and you were playing with it then i would be a little judgy i, I think it's a matter of time before i i get home and catch my daughters and they've unboxed all my batman toys that's like a my waking nightmare but i've even got so i've even got a picture i'm really i'm ramming home how much i love batman there he's there oh my the, god and then uh the the one of the guys who created the boys painted me as a Batman supervillain as well. I mean, it, it, it goes what? on and on and on. So, Wait, so, the oh, TV series, the book. Oh, love it so much. So opening day, wow. of, the movie, opening day of the new Robert, the, the new, you know, the latest Robert Pattinson film, Phil Wang and I, IMAX, I think it was the first screening of the morning. And Janine appears in a much bigger role than you'd made out. But we didn't, we didn't know you were in it, but we think you've been very modest because you've got a key role. And when you appeared on the screen, I know I emailed at the time, me and Phil Wang went, ah! Um, <laughs> so in that, I mean, that is, what an achievement. I mean, firstly, how did it come about? And then, because that's a film that I rewatch, but that must be so cool to be part of that universe. Yeah, I'd never been in anything that was that big before. And it, because it was being filmed right in the middle of COVID, I hadn't seen, they were, I mean, one of the scenes we did had hundreds and hundreds of um, extras in it. And I hadn't been, I'd just been locked in my apartment with my husband for a year. I hadn't seen that many people in one place in months. It was very surreal. Um, 
It came about weirdly because I did my uh, Edinburgh hour in 2019. And in that I impersonate my mother a lot. And some of the people from the casting office came and saw that show. And then when they came time to cast a, a, a hooker from New York, they were like, that girl, Janine, does a really good hooker voice. And it was just my impression of my mother. <laughs> she loves that, by the way. She's, <laughs> she's like, I still got it. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, also, thank goodness she took that in the right spirit, because I, I, I'm, as I say, I'm 45. My mother would have grounded me if I told that story. <laughs> oh, no, she thought it was super cool. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. What's it being like on a set like that? Because I mean, it's one thing to be on, say, I did an episode of EastEnders, like one of, genuinely one of the happiest days of my life. So that that is something. Who but did they, you play? Oh, uh, someone had seen me either doing a TV warm up or emceeing a gig. And so they had me play the, the MC of the Walford Street Food Awards. And it was- Brilliant. It was, I mean, that was genuinely like a, a day that I treasure. But, but then when you're on a film set of one of the biggest films of recent years is, I, 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 can't, my, I can't even comprehend that. What, what is that like? It's just a lot of waiting around. <laughs> Genuinely, it's kind of a little bit boring. You're just sort of in your trailer all day and then you go out, you do maybe 15 minutes of filming and you're back in your trailer. It's not as cool, I think, as people would imagine. It was amazing to do scenes with like heroes of mine. I mean, that was super cool. Like I did a scene with John Totoro and I mean, that man is just so good at acting. Uh, but we just spent the day just chatting about, uh, we both lived in the same neighborhood in Brooklyn. So we were just talking about that, what it was like spots in Brooklyn to go and eat at. And it was just yeah, normal. The, the really weird one is, um, Robert Pattinson, I didn't speak to at all because he was so like serious, like in it and serious and focused. I think it's probably a lot of pressure to take on a role like that. You just don't yeah. want to mess it up. So yeah. I just um, uh, didn't say anything to him. Um, yeah. And no, that was it. It was just sort of a little bit boring. It's a lot of waiting around. It's kind of like going to the DMV. You know, the in America, do you call it the DMV here? I don't, know, what, I don't know what we'd call it over here. It's, you know, where you go to renew your license yeah. or if you have a ticket or whatever. It's kind of just like that. You're just sort of waiting around, just chatting to people. That's probably not the answer you wanted no, to no, hear. No, I've because I used to work at, Sh at Shortlist Magazine and a magazine called Bounce, where I've interviewed quite a few actors. And um, I think it was, I think it was Zachary Quinto was talking about the Star Trek films. He played Spock. I think his waiting around time was so long. I think he learned how to play the banjo. Yeah, yeah. You need to do something. I, I think because I, I think it was two weeks filming, and uh, at first I went up, but I didn't even bring a charger for my phone, and my phone died, and I was just sitting in my dressing room, like staring at the wall, with nothing to do. Um, but yeah, I think I got a lot of writing done actually while I was there. But also it's not, it's nice that you have people come and do your, I was wearing a wig, like this gorgeous wig and people come and do your hair and your makeup and you're wearing really nice costume and it's just sort of chill, chill vibes. Now, one thing I wanted to say about, uh, about you, Janine, is that you had such, um, a, it was a wonderful, memorable, explosive 
start, or it felt like your start, but the way you the way you exploded on the UK scene was incredible. You you won you won a couple of the really big competitions. Uh, you 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 made such an impact. Uh, what was that? What was that like, Janine? Because I mean, that was that was that was really something. I remember you, the first time you did ABC. Um, I mean, it's, and it's never really relented. I was there. so nervous. I was so nervous to do your gig. Actually, I'm I'm a very nervous performer. I think, and so um, I'm still nervous to to do your gig because I mean, you get such big name comedians on the bill, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do bad. <laughs> I was, but, uh, not in front of these guys. But I think with but nerves, I always think nerves is a good thing because it shows that you care. I also think it makes you work really hard. I think when you start just not caring and being like, ah, whatever, I'll just see how it goes, then you kind of just get a little bit lazy. I, I feel, and I, was, I actually talked to Phil Wang about this at one gig. It might have been one of your gigs. And he was like, I just need the nerves right before a gig to write stuff. I feel the same way. I feel like I've written more the walk from the tube station to get to a gig. I've probably written more in that 10 minute time than I do in the days leading up to a new material night. I think Phil once recorded a, it was a set maybe at the comedy store or something. I think he thought of his opener like while he was walking to the stage or like minutes before he went on. Cause there is something in that, you know, the adrenaline, all the right chemicals released. And the, you know, the phrase about doing your best work at ramming speed. There is yeah. there's something to that, isn't there? I also think it, just doing it in the UK, because UK audiences are uh, very discerning. Like, they, I think just because British people are sort of just naturally funny anyway, there's a level you have to make sure that you're coming in at. Um, because they're like, you better be funnier than I am. Sort of attitude in the audience, I think. And so... Think knowing that I'm doing new stuff in front uh, of a British audience, I'm really trying my best because in the states, I think people are just up for a laugh. I think they just are like, uh, "Oh, we're here, we're out," you know. And here, I think they're a bit like, "This better be very good." That's interesting. What was was it? Was it the competitions, or was it another moment? What was the moment where you realized I've actually got I've, I can make a career in this? Um, probably after my first fringe when I did my first hour, because I, I think I did that maybe two and a half years in, uh, and I was still doing open mics. So, you know, unpaid spots where I had to bring a friend in order to get stage time. And I was still doing that the days before I went to the fringe. So I just didn't feel like I was a professional comedian. I think because I'd won a couple of awards, uh, a few people maybe started booking me for some paid gigs, but I wasn't really getting paid until um, after I did my first full hour. And what did that, what did the the nomination uh, this year, what, what, what did that mean? What was that like? This one was a really special one because I worked on this show with my friend, Adam Brace, who uh, passed away in, halfway through making this show. And then the show sort of became about, grief and about that loss and um and so I think uh I I tried really hard to write a good show because I just I this was the last thing that was going to have Adam's name on it and I just wanted to make him proud and so to get nominated for uh that 
meant a lot because Adam thought awards were really stupid, but he respected the Edinburgh Comedy Awards. They're probably the only awards he actually had any sort of respect for. Um, I mean, the man was nominated for two Olivier's and was didn't even go. Didn't what? go to the award ceremony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What can you just, yeah. can you just say a bit about about Adam? What what um how, how did that how did that relationship work? What was the collaboration like? Was it uh, was it a case where you'd meet up and and write together? Or was it was it something else? Yeah, we would um he would come out and see gigs where I was doing new material, and then we'd go and sit in a cafe a couple of days later. And he'd be like, ah, you know, I don't think that's very good. And that bit's good. Maybe there's something else there. And it was a lot of just trying to make him laugh. And and if you made him laugh, then you knew you had something good because he was um, he just had like an incredible sense for what would land, for what was truly funny. He really stressed the truth in comedy was so important. It's so much so much funnier if it's true. It's so much funnier if you're putting in real detail rather than saying, you know, the wacky thing or, you know. Um, and so, yeah, we just kind of worked like that. And he was so meticulous. I mean, you know, you'd finish a gig, you send him the set, you know, I record the set on my phone. He'd listen to it. And as soon as he finished listening, he'd send me back a whole bunch of notes of, you know, this bit works, maybe try this bit here. He was like amazing. He, a lot of people as he became more well-known on the scene, probably the last two years, I know a lot of comedians emailed him asking, you know, if they could work with him and f uh, famous people, really successful, wealthy people who would have paid him a lot of money. But I think because he was so dedicated um, and, and gave each of his acts so much of his time, he only took on like a very few people and, turned down a lot of money I think to do that because he worked with people who were broke like me you know um we, we yeah, had some we had someone, the best we had someone writing a few weeks ago um asking me and Tim the role of a uh, a director in a comedy show and we, oh, yeah. we answered it to the best <clears throat> of our our abilities but your 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 answer hits the nail a lot so it's more of a, a clean strike on the head so that that the insight there i i I've heard of tales from about other directors. I've never heard anyone as meticulous and as committed as yeah. that. Because a lot yeah, of guys, yeah. a lot of guys would have taken the money from whoever these people are and maybe taken on too much, diluted down the quality of the work. But he's um No, he, he was, was really he had so much integrity. And uh, like he called himself a, a director because he kind of came up, he was a writer, he wrote plays, very, very good plays. Um, and uh, he, so he came from a world where you would have a dramaturg come in and help you shape the narrative of your script. And so he was coming from that sort of an angle. And so, yeah, I think a lot of people hear the word director and think, oh, what, they just kind of tell you where to stand on stage and maybe adjust the lighting or something, make sure the sound levels are good. But he was involved in a project from the first kernel of its existence. Like I, I started working with him because I did this course at Soho Theater uh, called The Young Company, where you go in and do, I mean, there's like 25 of you and you each try and craft together, I think, three minutes of material and I worked with him on that and I did not like him. He is, he was so blunt, which was in the end, 
I think people really, if you got him, you really respected how blunt he was because you knew that if he told you something wasn't good, he meant it. And that means that you knew that when he told you it was good, he really meant it because he just never bullshitted anyone. And I think on that course, he told me that one bit of mine wouldn't work. You know, you got up and performed it in front of the class, essentially. And he was like, no, that's not going to play. And I'm like, no, it plays. And he was like, it doesn't. I'm like, it does. (laughs) We had this kind of argument the first time we met. And I remember leaving and being like, ah, he thinks he knows everything, but he kind of did know everything. <laughs> and, <laughs> and after that, I realized that he had directed two of my absolute favorite things I'd ever seen at the Edinburgh Fringe. He directed Alfie Brown's Lunatic the year before and Alex Edelman's Just For Us. And I was I saw them at the Fringe the year before and was so blown away. They were just like stunning shows. The second one, Al, um, Alex Edelman's just closed on Broadway this past summer. And uh, so I like <laughs> emailed him with my head down, like, a, I actually think you're really amazing. And if you would ever be interested in directing me, I would love to work with you. And I sent him a sort of like paragraph of what I thought my first show would be about. And uh, yeah, he, we met up, chatted about it. And he was like, all right, I'm in. I mean, amazing. And that, that thing about truth. Alan Carr writes about this in his first autobiography, Look Who It Is, about how the audience have a better inbuilt bullshit detector than a lot of people realize. Because you you and I, I, I imagine the listeners, I know Tim for a fact, you can always tell when a comedian's doing a bit that you know he's bollocks. And yeah, then right, yeah. and then and then she said, and you're like, no, 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 no. Um, you, can, you, you can always tell when something is coming from a place of truth. And when, like you say, it's just the wacky thing. Absolutely. It just takes you out of it. You're, you're following along with the story. You're visualizing it in your head. And the minute someone says something that you're like, you didn't say that they didn't do that. You know, it just completely takes you out of it. And then you don't trust the comedian. Then the whole time you're assessing whether or not the things they're saying happened or. Yeah. And I, and he was all, Adam was always really good at being like, uh, you know, don't say that you said that, say that you thought that, say that you thought that afterwards, or you said that to someone afterwards, you know, things like that. And um, I think they really help the integrity of a show and of a set. Also, Janine, uh, you know, this, what, this is one of my absolute passion points right now. And you are at the vanguard of this, my friend. So this is an unusual time for TV and comedy and certain comedians, yourself, very much on this list, have successfully harnessed this is where I sound 45 years old talking about social media, but the, 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 the TikToks, please sound more middle-aged, but TikTok, Instagram, this the has been- TikTok. This is, The TikTok. This is what's making you sound old. <laughs> Just TikTok. The, 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 the Instagram, the, yeah. Um, <laughs> but this, this has been incredible, hasn't it? I mean, that's- um... I was really nervous to post anything on any of those platforms. I always think everything I do is terrible. You know, you watch yourself back and you're like, oh my God, what was, what was my hair doing? My main issue generally is hair-based. I'm like, what is Same. my hair? What am I wearing? What is my, what, oh, that didn't deliver that right. And, um, and then I think lockdown happened and I just started posting clips begrudgingly of things, uh, sets I had filmed and stuff like that, just of live standup. And I was so surprised at the reaction. I couldn't believe it. it. I think I, I think one of my first videos that I posted got maybe like 5 million views. I think the second one got like 17 and a half million views. Yeah, it was, it was uh, weird, real weird. What, how, right. I asked this question as someone who 
if one of our videos gets like a hundred likes on Instagram, me and Tim are hugging each other like, you know, brothers at an airport. Um, when you're when you're when you're clocking up numbers like, you know, in the millions, do you have to put the phone on silent? I mean, what? Pl please talk us through that. Uh. I, I think the first one went viral when I was on, I was in the airport on my way to my honeymoon in Thailand. And my husband was like, give me your phone. I just put it away. I could, I was just like, I couldn't stop looking at it, just refreshing it. And now I've just made a thing with myself where I post something and just don't look at my phone. I often post something and then just delete Instagram off my phone for the, that day and just, yeah, see. Cause it's, it's not good for your brain also you know, you have a bad gig, somebody doesn't like you at a gig, they don't really say anything to you. But if they don't like your comedy, they re online, they really write exactly what they don't like about you, your face, your jokes, your gender, it's all there. So um, I'm not sure which is worse, the, the overdosing on the good stuff or the bad stuff. I, I found I'm doing the show in Dublin, and I was googling to see if the tickets were on sale, maybe two nights ago. And so I typed in like Janine Haroni, Dublin, Ireland. And I found this forum. I think it's called like Nine Gag or something like that. It's a bit like Reddit where people post, repost videos and then comment on it. And there were, there was a video that I posted about how half my family is Irish. And that came up. And so I was like, oh, let me just see. You know, it was like two in the morning. So I clicked on it. Hundreds of comments, all from men. <laughs> it was in the end there were like basically four comments hundreds of times over it was she's not funny these jokes are bad women aren't funny these jokes are good but women aren't funny so someone probably wrote them for her uh she's not funny but she's hot she's funny and she's hot that's what it, the whole thing was over and over and over again and people were posting pictures of my husband and saying like, she's married and this is her husband. And then they were like, I'm not interested in her comedy knowing that she's married. Like all this oh my crazy God. stuff. And I just, I just closed my laptop because I was like, this is not for me to see. I was about, to be honest with you, I may as well take my next question and put it in the shredder. Cause what my, my, my next question was gonna be, but I mean, this has been wonderful for comedy, <laughs> but no, it, no, it has not. Yeah. In no. Sorry. What I mean is in terms of, uh, helping with, with tour tickets and, and, uh, opening comedians up to new audiences, such as yourself, uh, Jen Brister, uh, and, and so on. However, the, the flip side to that coin is clearly horrible. Yeah. Yeah. The good thing about it, though, is I became a comedian because I just don't think I'm very good looking. So I'm, I feel very awkward around people and men, you know, and so I think I developed a sense of humor because of that. And so for them to say that they think I'm like, I know I'm funny. So when they say I'm good looking, I'm like, ah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> say I'm not funny. That's fine. I think I'm funny, but say I'm good looking and you're really boosting the old self-esteem there. That's why I got in this game. <laughs> Um, no. can you, now, now, before we get to the uh, dream gig, the tour, can you talk us through how you came up with picking uh, where to go? It kicks off in January, Manchester, the Lowry, absolute iconic venue. How did you come up with, was it, was it agonizing picking where to play? I have a brilliant producer named Tom and he picked all of the places because 
I'm going to a few cities I've never even been to just as a visitor. So I trusted him to pick them all. And uh, yeah, he picked some really lovely venues, which I'm very excited to be performing in. And some of the biggest venues I've ever performed in. So please, please come and bring 50 of your friends. <laughs> now, I'm from Leeds. The Leeds City, Var City Varieties is one of the most, uh, one of the most iconic. Um, oh, it's beautiful. I think, uh, what was Googling that? I think, I think Laurel and Hardy played there. Really? Wow. Oh God, am I going to Google that and then regret it? I, I regret it when I realise I'm wrong. But I do, I do know that some of the most, in, you know, some of the most incredible names in the history of comedy have, have played there. So, I mean, this is, um, you know, I know you enjoy your comedy. This is, I mean, obviously you're going to enjoy the tour, but from a from a nostalgic, almost romantic point of view, this is going to be a, a, a lovely few weeks, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. And some of the theatres are, like you were saying, um, just really, really old and have loads of history. And they're just sort of beautiful buildings to be in. Does, does the baby go on, go on the tour as well? He's opening for me. It's my opening act. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We're trying to figure that out. I think well, I, so. My because my opener is my husband, a very funny comedian, Andrew Nolan, uh, who's done your gig a few times. And uh, so we're just figuring out: is it more disruptive? This is so boring for people. We're just trying to think: is it more disruptive to bring him with us uh, and try and have him sleep backstage in a sort of you know pack and play cot? Or do we hire a sitter to come and then drive to the gig and drive back that night? So we're just trying to figure out the old logistics there. But um, it's, uh, you know, it's not easy having a baby. <laughs> People said it was hard. I thought they were exaggerating. They were, uh, not, they were exaggerated. They, they were, it's hard. It's, it's hard, but it's, it is the best thing ever, right? Do you know what? So many people were like, it's the best thing ever. You have to have a baby. And now that I have a baby, they're all like, yeah, welcome to hell. And I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> you didn't tell me about all the hard stuff. But, um, before we had our first child, all my friends, hey, your life's over, blah, 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 all that. And then Rob Delaney uh, took me to one side and gave me this speech, like almost telling me off, but with, with in the most loving way possible. This is a fucking privilege. This is the greatest fucking oh. thing. All your friends who tell you that your life, I'm nearly crying here at the memory. All your friends who tell you that your, that your life is over there full of shit. This is the, when you get up in the middle of the night, it is the fucking great. And it stayed with me so much that I would then give the Rob Delaney speech to other people. And then this right. week, this week, uh, a, a, a mom from my youngest's class WhatsApp me and said, sorry for the random message. Were you emceeing a gig in Balham over five years ago with Sarah Pascoe? She goes, I was heavily pregnant and you look, she's all I'd heard with these speeches telling me that my life was over. And you look, you, she says, you nearly started crying because you were so positive um, about what an amazing thing it is. And it, it, she said, it really stayed with me and my husband. Was this you, me? Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. Wow. Wow. Um, but I, I, what, I'm, what I'm getting at, is I suppose, like, people, your mates love to tell you, about the bad things, but I, I, I think that I, I think the Delaney approach is, the, in my opinion, the. the I think that, I think you're probably right. I think I think a lot of people 
tell you about the bad things, but then they don't tell you about the first time that he smiles at you or when he actually, because when they're first born, they, you know this, but I didn't know. They, they, he didn't really open his eyes much. He sort of just slept the whole time. He was just sort of this little milk vampire. And then at about six weeks, he started like really being able to see things. And so he was opening his eyes and smiling at us. And he's just so cute and chubby and fat. And I love him. Well, whichever decision you make, good luck. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ah. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. So Janine, do you have any pre-gig rituals? I, if it's an hour, no, actually anytime I do a gig, I will, this is so weird. I will go outside and I will walk around and pretend that I'm on the phone, but I will just be running the set over and over and over again. I thought that would go away as I progressed in my comedy career, but I still, unless I'm in a routine of doing the same set every couple of days, I have to run the set about 10 times before I can do it on stage. I just am so nervous to perform that when I do get up there, if I don't have it like really, really memorized, I will forget everything. So that is my weird pre-gig ritual. I think a lot of people think I'm just like taking calls outside, Mrs. Big Shot, but I am just like nervously saying my set over and over again into my phone, like a little weirdo. I can, re- the thing is, I can relate to that. Why do we do that where we're pretending we're having a phone call when there's not, I mean, there's nothing just talking with... out loud, just talking out loud is insane. You can't do that. I was... <laughs> Who would MC the gig, Janine? I would love Russell Hicks to MC. I just, he's so, he's so good. He's just so funny. I saw him do a show one time and this woman in the audience just hated him for no reason. And the way he just took her down, it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. But I would hate to follow him. So if I'm not on the bill, I'd want him to be emceeing. How did now? How did Russell do it? How did he? How did he do it? Was it? Did he? Did he do, the way Russell is, he would do it with like love in his heart, I suppose, rather than like yeah. He he did it really. He did it really vulnerably. Like he was like, "Why don't you like me?" <laughs> uh, 
he jumped off the stage. I mean, it's not, of course, not going to be as funny as it was when he was doing it. But he jumped off the stage. He grabbed his phone because he was recording the gig. And he's like, what part didn't you like that I said? And then she told him. And then he went back, held his phone to the mic and replayed what he had just said on stage. And then sort of assessed whether or not his intention was good. And it was just so funny because she the more he did that, the more annoyed she was and the more she hated him and the more irrational she seemed. And he, the whole audience just completely turned against her and was on his side. And he was just being really loving and vulnerable and, um, and just really funny. And also that the, something we, we, we talk about a bit ABC, MCing has changed so much for the better. Cause if that had been say like in the harsh eighties, you know, the MC would make an audience member cry, or you know, whereas now yeah. it's the game has changed for the better. You oh know? my god, I went to did a gig, and I'll tell you who it was after. But the it was one of my first gigs. Oh, this was a disaster. I think I had maybe seven minutes of material at the time, and I did this guy's open mic, and then he said, "Do you want to come back and do ten minutes uh, for like the paid spot?" And I think it was maybe like twenty quid he was paying me, and I was like, okay. So uh, I came back that Saturday, maybe like three days after I'd first done the open mic. And then he went up on stage emceeing the gig and proceeded to do about two minutes of my material to the audience. Just completely stole the stuff he'd seen. I don't know if he remembered uh, that that had happened. But he just almost word for word just just took. The bit I had, and because I only had about seven minutes of material, I was like, I'm going to have to do like three minutes of filler here to to reach my 10 minute set. So that was two minutes of that seven minutes taken away. And uh, then Daniel Simonson came on stage and then he did a huge bit that was so similar to a bit that I have about circumcision because he was living in, he's living in America and he was talking about how weird it is to not be circumcised and to live in America where all the men are circumcised. So that was like another minute and a half of my material down. And then right before I came on stage, the MC came back up and was asking a, a woman who was there on her own. He was talking to her and then asked why she wasn't in a relationship. And she said she was divorced. And then he said, why did you get divorced? And then berated her for about three minutes about how women, I, he was just making fun of her because her marriage had ended. It was awful and the audience was so not with him and then he just said please welcome to the stage janine Haroni." and i just got up bombed so bad because in the end i just ran out of material so then i just repeated i think i was maybe six months into comedy i just did my set and it just seemed like i was repeating the two previous comedians who'd gone on before me <laughs> people were staring at me like i was crazy they were like we just heard these jokes what are you doing Oh that's my god, that no fault. And that's through done. no fault of your own. Right. Who would who would who would open the gig? So we got Russell Hicks I'm seeing. Okay, so maybe uh I think Chelsea, because I've got a list of people who I who I want to be on. I'm just trying to think what place to put them. I think maybe a great opener I'd love to see would be Chelsea Peretti. Oh my god, what a brilliant comedian. She's so funny, and I'm so mad she hasn't put out a new special recently. The, spe- the special where she lampoons are the specials at the start. That's brilliant. All time great. One of the greats. Yeah, yeah. One of the greats. Yeah, yeah. Her Netflix special. Yeah. Oh, she's um, just so funny. 
two now two if a listener hasn't hasn't i'm sure they will have heard of chelsea prey but if they haven't seen chelsea prey what what how would you describe uh i mean chelsea's got her own vibe going on which is great but how, how would you describe chelsea pretty she uh i don't know she's just like entirely herself she's got a sort of uh, a real like new york aggression to her which i really love but in like a lovingly silly way she's just she's just so so funny and i just love the way she thinks about things she's got this bit about wanting to text her dog and it's one of the funniest bits of stand-up I've ever heard. And I think about it all the time because I'm obsessed with my dog. And when I'm out, I'm like, I wish my dog was here. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. She's got that, that New York aggression. But there is a... There I don't even t- think she's from New York. Oh, really? She's I, just got I that, think she's uh, from the West Coast, yeah. She's got this She's got this uh, steely resolve, if you like. But because, because she has this mischievous grin and the, the, this twinkle in her eyes... She can sort of she gets away with everything. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, you never and think, also, Whoa, you just steady on. Yeah, you just want to be friends with her. Yeah. She's just she's just so cool. She's cool. And I think like a lot of cool people doesn't know that she's cool, which adds to the cool, you know? Oh, she knows she's cool. Yeah, I really think so. Do you know what? I tweeted one time. She hosted an uh an awards thing and um like sort of like a low budget thing, but but it was on YouTube and I'm obsessed with her. So I'm always, I was always like, look, when I first started comedy, watching everything she ever did. So I watched it and then I just tweeted it and said something like Chelsea Peretti's the best. And she liked it and I could have died. <laughs> That's always that. If someone like you really admire does interact, it, it, it doesn't matter who you are. It's still like, oh, a bit of a heart melter, isn't it? You know, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Norm Macdonald followed me on Twitter for a few weeks. Whoa. Yeah. And then he unfollowed you. And then he unfollowed me. Whoa. What did you say to make him unfollow you? I mean, I'd unfollow me. No. There were no, there well, were no hard, you... trust me, no hard feelings. What did Br- you say to make him follow you? Do you remember what the I honestly was? have, I have absolutely, oh, because I'm such a Norm fanboy. So I, I was often praising Norm. Oh, there's the dog. Wonderful. Um, yeah, I'm sure it was just general fanboying, um, but yeah, I mean, God, God bless him. Uh, you know would... what? I don't think I could take the pressure. If someone, if one of my heroes followed me, uh, I would constantly, every time I had to tweet some, I mean, I've deleted Twitter now because it's uh, an absolute cesspool, but yeah. I would constantly be thinking, oh my God, Norm Macdonald's going to see this. Like, it would, uh, it would stress me out too much. I was, de- I was definitely thinking that and I wilted under the pressure and he was, yeah. I probably admired him would. even more once he unfollowed me. Um, <laughs> who would? Who, yeah, you have your taste is impeccable, Norm. Who would you have in the middle? Uh, probably a caster. Is this a boring? Is that a boring reply? Is that a boring answer? Absolutely not. You can't have enough James Acaster. Um, Especially like his his. Um recent stuff in the last few years where he's kind of gone more personal i just he's just so good uh, he's so good he's also quite aggressive with the audience i think i just like people who are a little aggressive with their audiences because i <laughs> wish i could be more like that i'm a very friendly comedian um yeah i i can't wait to see his new show have you booked tickets we, we were very lucky he did a few run-throughs that always be comedy and <sighs> he addresses full-on um his relationship with the audience and so yeah. and so i mean it's it's 
people uh, regular listeners will rightly poke fun at me because i often use the phrase i don't want to burn people's gear but i would say if you've not seen the show it is it's extraordinary um so yeah and so it's called it's called heckler's welcome right well, heckler's welcome i think i can say this so at the very start of the show he sort of he addresses he addresses the fact that there have been times where um he's interacted with audiences in certain ways and so he gives a little speech at the start basically saying if you want to heckle you can but obviously this is now me talking not james but obviously everyone that's there is there to see james and so every time i've seen it no one's heckled because you want to watch the show but he's yeah. he does address that at the at the very i start. saw him do 20 minutes i did a gig with him uh uh at clapham grand and i saw him do 20 minutes of it or maybe 30 minutes of it and he was working it out and people were heckling and it was Hilarious. I mean, hilarious because he hates them. <laughs> well, I think I would like to think that always be comedy. Our guys know better, know better than that. And and so everyone that everyone that. But also, it's a very coach, intimate. It's very intimate space. Always be comedy. So if you say something, there's no anonymity. You're you're right there. He can yeah, see I mean, you. He can. I, he can. I say this reach out and touch you. Yeah, exactly. And I say this while performing the sign of the cross, and I'm and I'm praying. Hope no one ever heckles because you know because. Heckling sort of died with Thatcher. And so on the very, very, very one in a million time that someone has heckled, I remember one show someone heckled a few years ago and every single audience member literally did this. As it, like they turned around as if to say, what are you, do- what are you doing? That's awesome. You know? I mean, I mean I'm, I'm glad that's not a thing anymore. Um, I kind of like, I kind of like heckling. I mean, as long as it's not anything cruel, but it just, after a while, if you're doing the same set over and over again, it's nice to mix it up, chat to someone. Again, it's it's that word intent, isn't it? Yeah. If the intent is joining in, sure. But when it's if it's something, you know, the, like the, say, wor- the worst is when someone is just so drunk that they can't stop them. Like they're not making sense, and they're just so loud. Like that's the worst. Oh, or, but if or, you're or, if you're being funny, heckle. We've had that where someone's like, someone's having a nice time and they're joining in. That's different. But if it's yeah, if something disruptive and annoying, you know. Do you do you know what happened to me at one of one of my first gigs? Um, uh, I was emceeing like a competition. I think it was like the Leicester Square New Comedian. Yeah. I uh, was emceeing, which I lost terribly. But the next year, I came back uh, to host, and it was not paid, so I was volunteering. Um, and during that, I think I said the thing that, you know, you say when you're hosting a competition, you say like, these guys are doing their five minutes of their best stuff. And so please don't heckle, don't interrupt them because they don't have time to address it. You know, if you want to heckle in somebody, heckle me. And this guy in the front row, every time I got up, every time the ax got up, he just kept calling out and and he was trying to be funny. And I think by this, by the time that the interval finished, I came back and I was kind of, I kind of was slightly mean to him because I really, he was ruining people's competition sets and you could see they were really nervous before they went on. And you don't want to be extra nervous that someone's going to ruin your set that you're already quite nervous about that's being literally judged. Anyway, I was a little bit mean. I kind of put him down, put him in his place. And I went back and all the comedians were like, thank you. Thanks for doing that. Hopefully that guy just, you know, shuts up now. And at the end of the gig, he came up to me afterwards and said, we had such a good time. I'm here with all of my family. And, you know, we just wanted to laugh because uh, today we came back to London because it's the one year um, anniversary of my son's death. And we just wanted to have a good night. And I wanted to make sure everybody was having a good time. 
And I felt so terrible. And he still messages me uh, to like encouraging things. To, uh, he's been like, you know, I've been watching your career and, and I hope things are going well. And he's such a lovely man. And that has stuck with me forever because you don't really know why someone's shouting out. You don't know what's going on in their life or, or why they're interacting. And so I try and be as nice as possible as I can if anyone chats to me while I'm on stage because I, I just could not believe that that, that, that was the situation that was happening. Tim and I had heard a, a, a similar story where two people were chatting in the crowd and the MC said, come on, what are you talking about? And they were going, no, 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 it's fine. Come on, what was it? And then they shared and it was something sad. And the yeah. the lesson is you just never know what, you never know what. what. somebody's going through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mind you, to be fair, it sounds like the person had a, it sounds like for them it was a really positive Experience, yeah, you know. I think I think it was I think it was a nice because uh, it was also uh, it was also one of the later rounds of the competition. You know, the first couple of rounds you get a lot of real weirdos that are on stage, but so it was a great show. You know, all the comics were really funny and um and and he was and now that I think back on it, I mean he was standing up in the front row and saying stuff and like kind of talking to the people next to him, and I didn't realize that it was his, his whole family was in the front row. And he wanted to just cheer them all up because they were obviously having a terrible day. Oh boy! Um, yeah. Who would who would close the gig? Um, uh, Mulaney, John Mulaney. Did you see him at the Apollo when he was here uh, last no, year? No, I'll tell you what. We had we had always be comedies uh, for each day, or I had TV warm ups as well. Basically, the planets didn't align. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I was. I might have been at. I think I might have even been at the Riverside down the road while, anyway, no, right, the yeah. answer because I had stuff in. Did you go? I went, I went the first night and I would say probably one third of the audience were just London comics. It was every comedian I know was there. I was sitting, I mean, and it's, it was at the Apollo, which is what a 2000 seat venue, 3000 seat venue. I was sitting behind Reese James. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think Reece, Phil was there. Yeah, Phil Wang. Yeah, the, that's I think right. Like five or six sat with each other. Steen was there. Valley yeah. maybe. Yes. Yeah. It was just every everybody was there because he is just the, a comics comic. He is so good at what he does, and I love when comedians go and see comedians because I think a lot of people. Um, I, I talk to a lot of my comedy friends, and they're like, oh, "I can't watch comedy. You know, it's just it feels like a busman's holiday, or you know, it's not. I don't find it funny. But I still find it so funny. So I love when I go out and see comedians in the audience watching another comic. Mulaney's probably the most the, the comedian who's most admired by other comedians right now. I would have thought. I, th I think so. Yeah, and uh, it just felt. And it was the show, it was his last special where he talks about going into rehab and stuff. And it was just so personal, so funny. I love, I love that. And he's, I don't think people think of Mulaney as a storyteller because he's just so good at writing jokes, but he is such a great storyteller. I mean, the first, have you watched the special yet on Netflix? I've, I've seen, I've seen, first, I've seen bits and bobs. I've not seen the whole. Uh, Got to watch it. The the first yeah. twenty minutes of it, it's just one long story about uh about his intervention, and it is just the funniest thing you've ever seen. He's um. Have you ever seen? I've never seen the sitcom, but mates have said you've you've got to check it out. Have you ever seen it? 
I've never seen it. I'm, I'm not good at like finding things on the internet, but my husband is. So I might ask it. I was thinking about this the other day. I really, really want to watch it. Someone, someone just the other day described it as a, a I think they use the word curio because it's not, it's not what, it's not the show that you would expect a Mulaney sitcom to be. I, I mean, I've I'm heard not... him talk about it a lot in podcasts and, um, you know, he talks a lot about what he wanted from the show and because he was trying to be a nice guy to everybody, what he ended up conceding to and, you know, all the, all the things he sort of um, didn't set boundaries on. So I'd love to see what that did to the show. Just how good is that new special? Because I've heard a, a couple of people have said it's literally one of the best shows that they have ever seen. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, obviously seeing it live was so much yeah. like more of an experience, but it is just such a brilliant, solid hour of stand-up comedy. It's the kind of thing, you know, when you watch an hour and you're like, mm, I could probably lose 10 minutes off this. Like this was this was fine, but maybe the last, it was really dragged in the middle there. This was, I could have watched two hours of him talking about all this stuff. So, so wow, good. And also, you know that he's, it was not funny at the time when all that stuff was happening, but he um, really mined it and found a way to make it just hilarious. I saw him go on Seth Meyers. I might, might have been on lockdown and he talks about the some of the personal stuff. And uh, I actually worried for him. I, I wanted to put my arm around his shoulder because it, but then I think with the special, what he's done is he, he's taken that and he's managed to really find the funny. Cause I think at the time it, it was so raw when it, when he was, um, Absolutely, of course. Talking Meister, what happened? Um, but that's my that's my favorite type of comedy is when you take something that was a sad or painful experience and turn it into something funny. I think that's the I think that's the point of humor. I think that's why people d- develop humor. I think a lot of comedians probably became funny when they were being bullied when they were kids or when their parents were going through divorce or anything like that. I think that's the root of it. And so I love watching shows that really distill that down and utilize that tool. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Now, is there has there been an incident, uh, a gig that you would love to somehow replicate at this gig? This summer, I was in Dublin and I did um, the Paddy Power Festival, and I was in, I was watching. Uh, I think Tommy Tiernan was 
headlining in one of the tents. And so me and my husband snuck in and we're sitting in the front row and Adam Hills came on. He was one of the, he was, it was a mixed bill. I think he was in the middle and he was started doing his set and then something happened in the audience and he just completely dropped his set and then just did 20 minutes. And actually what happened was these two girls were with their father and he, something happened. And he, so Adam started addressing it. He was just chatting to them. And uh, I think he made a joke like, Oh, is that your dad or your, uh, or are you his uh, girlfriend? And then they were like, no, it's our dad because our mom is dead. And then the whole audience, I mean, you know, it's like 1500 people were just, and then Adam just completely abandoned his set and just leaned into it in such a funny way and then started matchmaking the dad with women in the audience. It was just the funniest thing I've ever seen. I, I mean, I was just crying, laughing. I wish I could describe it better than I am now, but it was so funny and so brilliant. And I'd never seen, um, I'd never seen Adam before. It was just uh, fantastic. And then Tommy I, Tiernan came on, didn't address it at all and absolutely crushed with his material. I think Hilsey is a, he's a magic man. He's absolutely, you know, obviously he's an, he's an icon through the last leg, but uh, I shouldn't say, but, and as a stand-up, Jesus Christ. Um, Just so present, so naturally funny. It was amazing. I think he's got this, he's got such a special aura about him, Adam. And I can, you're describing that story. I wasn't there. I can fully imagine how incredible that must've been. I think he's, uh, I mean, because that's a comedian's worst nightmare to make a joke about someone and they come back with, oh yeah, because my, my, her mom's dead. I mean, that's literally a nightmare. Like, what do you do with that? And he took that and made it one of the funniest things I've ever seen. To turn into a joyous spectacle. He's a, yeah. he's a, he's a special and, dude. And, ev and everyone was laughing. The daughters were laughing. The dad was laughing. He did it with so much love. It was just, it was great. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Now yeah. then, has there been an incident that under under no circumstances must happen at this gig. So I did a gig for a comedian that I will not name now, but I will tell you about afterwards. Um, so I used, before I started stand-up, I was in a sketch comedy trio called Muriel. It's me and my two uh, best girlfriends. And we got booked. We were told that we were opening for this comedian and we just like couldn't believe it. He's a very famous comedian and we were super excited. It was a really cool venue with loads of people. And um, we used a lot of uh, screen stuff. So we did half live, half screen. And so we would show video clips while we were changing costume, you know, off stage. And then we'd come back on and some of it interacted with the video and some of it didn't. And we messaged like weeks before and said, here's all of our stuff. Are you able to play this? And they were like, yeah, no problem. And then we got there and the comedian that we were opening for uses lots of PowerPoint. And he said that we weren't allowed to play any of the video because it might mess up all of his slides. So we were like, oh, well, we wish you'd told us that before. Like we had this whole, you know, set planned out. And we were like, okay, well, we'll just go backstage and try to figure, try and figure something out. And we went backstage and then there were a bunch of comedians back there because we weren't opening for him. We were doing, he, he built the show as it was his new hour, but he hadn't written an hour, so he was filling time with loads of comics and really like comics on our level, like very low level comics that had no fans because he probably didn't have to pay us very much, you know? 
And oh no one in the audience, no one in the audience knew that. They thought they were just coming to see his show. So we were all really anxious backstage about what this gig was going to be. And then he said to us, he came back and said to my trio, he said, you guys are going on first. And um, I'm going to, you'll know that, that uh, it's your time to come on stage when I have the entire audience uh, say the Our Father. And we were like, okay, but I'm thinking like, this is a very successful, very funny comedian. Like, I'm sure there's going to be some punchline. So we were standing backstage, like right at the door in the wings. And we heard the whole audience go, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I was like, this is going to be great. There's going to be some real funny punchline at the end of this. And it just kept going. And then just amen. And he just said, welcome to the stage, Muriel. We ran out on stage. Our first sketch, we pretend to be a really bad improv troupe that's doing terrible improv. Everyone just thought that that's what our act was. They thought we were actually this improv troupe and were really bad. And then because we weren't able to show any of the videos, we just had to change on stage in full light with no music playing or anything because we didn't have time to set anything up. So we just, we'd finish the sketch like, and that's why you shouldn't have sex at the zoo or whatever it was. And then we would just <laughs> kind of look down and like put on a different sweater very, you know, as quick as we could, just very kind of sad. And then we would start the next sketch. And at one point, a woman in the first row just, just said, because it was so quiet in this huge theater, she just leaned to her friend and it just went, this is creepy. <laughs> We got no laughs the entire time. We finished the set. We ran off stage. We, I was so mortified. I think I think maybe the interval was directly after us or something. It was set up so weird. Uh, we I couldn't leave. I was like, they're all in the lobby. We can't walk past these people. So we, we just sat in a corner and waited until the show started again so we could sneak out because we just thought we can't make eye contact with any of these people. That was brilliant. I was while you tell that story, I was nearly sick into the bin that I have in this room. I don't know if, unless you're a performer, I don't know if you can really feel how awful that gig was. But um, it was. No, you told it that scarred me. Yeah, you told that beautifully. Right then, the, the the final question: How do you how do you unwind after a gig? I I am so nervous before gigs that I can't really eat anything. So the minute I finish a gig. I generally, because it's late at night, we'll just walk to a kebab shop and just smash the kebab right down, right down the gullet. <laughs> Do you know what I'm? I know what you mean, and there is something satisfying about that post gig bite as well. I think it's you know you're in fight or flight before a gig, and afterwards the adrenaline you know has coursed through your body, and now you're like, oh, I'm actually I spent a lot of energy there. I need to eat something. So yeah, I gained gained a lot of weight in my first two years of comedy doing that. Now I try now I try and have a soup after a gig. <laughs> Can you sleep okay after gigs? I I I'll be honest with you, I I still struggle after all these years. I still have the adrenaline. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's great for having a newborn because whenever I have a gig, I do the night shift. I make sure that my husband is asleep and then I do the night shift because it's so true. If a gig goes well, you're just buzzing. You get that like high. And if a gig goes badly, you're just ruminating on everything you could have done differently. So no, there's no, there's no sleeping after a gig. That's for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm wired the same. Uh, right. Jenny, thank you so much. That was so wonderful. Um, thank you. <clears throat> to buy tickets. I mean, we'll do all this at the start as well in, in our, in our own intro, but Janine uh, Haroni, I, you know what, I, I'd like to apologise live in the show, because I know it's Haroni, 
because it rhymes with Peroni, because you've told me a million times, and at the start, I went with Haruni, and while you were talking, I hated myself more than usual. No, so actually, I think, I think, there's nothing to apologize, because I think that you're technically saying my name the right way, because I think in Arabic, it sounds more like Haruni than Haroni. It's sort of in between the two pronunciations, but my family has just gone with Haroni and Americanized it, so... If anything, you're probably saying my, my name better than I am. So don't worry. God bless. I can feel my fringe growing back. God bless you. <laughs> um, JanineHaruni.com uh, slash gigs. Coming to a town near you. And if not coming to a town near you, jump in the car. You're in for a treat. Um, thank you so much, Janine. Really grateful uh, for your time. So thanks a lot, dude. And uh, best of luck with everything. Thank you. Uh, Tim Lewis, favourite Janine memory. Do you want me to go first? I'd love for you to go first. Mine is definitely being sat in the Batman with Phil Wang. And when Janine, we emailed, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say we, I emailed her uh, straight after the film to, to tell her our reaction. But IMAX, imagine a, a, a pal, their face popping on the giant IMAX screen in a major Hollywood blockbuster and Phil and I both like grabbed each other and went ah! like that. It was uh, it, it, it was it was lovely. And also, she she's bloody brilliant in a in a massive film. I mean, it's what an achievement. So that that was that is an easy pick for me, Timo. That's a that's a very good one. That's a really good one. Uh, mine is so lockdown. Obviously, <laughs> it was very stop and start with gigs. Um, but one of my first gigs back was a show with Janine Haruni on. So she was one of the first acts I saw in, God, like well over like half a year at least. And yeah, what a what a way to come back to live comedy, seeing Janine. That was that was it. So great to hear. That's a great pick as well. In fact, those those first in real life gigs out of lockdown, they're they're sort of etched on the soul forever in a good way, aren't they? Yeah, you really appreciate. You you possibly don't realise how much you miss live comedy until it's taken away from you. I think the first our first one back was Sakisa and Kevin Bridges. Wow. Yeah. Um. I, th I think it was. I think Tom Allen might have been on it as well. Jesus wept. It, you're right. It was Tom Allen, Kevin Bridges, and Sakisa. Good Lord. Good that's Lord. Insane. I mean, I still think, anyway, maybe that's for another time. I think those on, those online gigs, there, there is some sort of retrospective to be had there, I reckon. Yeah, I think so. I agree. Um, Tim, I, I've been mulling this over. You know, we have the secret newsletter. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's one of, it's, it's one of our USPs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent agree. Yeah. Do we tell the podcast listeners how to join the secret newsletter? Tell you what. Drop us an email. How's that? Drop us an email, and we'll we'll decide what we think. Drop us a, if you want to join the secret newsletter. Bearing in mind, in the past couple of years alone, in fact, in the past few months alone, Stuart Lee. James Acaster. We had Whitney Cummings over from America a couple of years back. 
Jack D very recently, Bill Bailey, blah. If you follow us on the Instas, you know exactly who we've had. Com, com, I mean, Kamal Nanjiani, that, I mean, that Jesus wept. And on and on and on. Drop us an email and we'll, yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll have a lovely think. Put something like secret newsletter in the header uh, to the team at alwaysbecomedy.com. Uh, as ever, please drop us a line, any correspondence, the team at alwaysbecomedy.com. Across the socials uh, at Always Be Comedy, our lovely new looking website with a new logo and branding and what have you, alwaysbecomedy.com. And then, as ever, five star reviews, always totes appreciate. And as this is our last episode before Christmas, I'd love to say Merry Christmas to you and yours. And uh, if you're if you don't celebrate Christmas, I was at a carol service yesterday and the mistress of the primary school that my girls go to is brilliant i think she's fantastic but end of this carol service it was the way she i thought oh yeah that was a nice way of doing it anyway if you don't celebrate christmas we wish you a very peaceful and harmonious festive season that's tim that sounds like i'm trying to be like uh uh like deliberately woke doesn't it you know that sort of thing that like gb news like make out that what's the what's the Stuart lee bit if you say you're english you get arrested these days is it is it is that it yeah, they put you in jail. They put you in jail. Beautiful. Anyway, you know what we're saying. Happy Christmas. If Christmas isn't your bag, have a lovely festive season. Uh, Tim, can I ask you, before we go, I, I do a lot of warm-up for Martin Lewis. You know how much I love Martin Lewis. And he asked the crowd, he asked the crowd recently, would you cancel Christmas? Are you? Uh, what he means by that is have the fun and the festive frivolities and all of that, but the the whole presence thing is that is that madness tim are you a christmasy person big question great question um, because, right the reason i ask i am mr christmas i love it i love the gifts and all of that malarkey however i also love martin lewis and the way <laughs> the point he was making and also more hands went up than i was expecting jeanette quatchy same as me very jeanette was very pro Christmas, but the hands that went up and the subsequent chat, I thought, ah, I, I, I also fully appreciate the point that's been made. I, I, I completely understand that point. I, I really love it. I love Christmas so much. I love all the lights, all the greens and reds. It's so lovely, but I find buying presents for people unbelievably stressful. I've been, look, spoiler, I've been stressing what to get you. I've ordered, it. I've ordered it this morning. <laughs> and... I wow. asked your other half if what I got you was the right sort of thing. And your other half, they were very, uh, very helpful. Great. Well, I will say you absolutely smashed it. Very, very generous. They steered me in the right direction. I was, I was barking up at the rightish tree, but was then very helpfully directed to a better tree. Right. Well, I've taken a real stab in the dark, so I hope you like what I've got you. I could not be more intrigued. What we, what Tim and I are saying in a very roundabout way is we love Christmas and there's no better way of celebrating Christmas than buying a loved one an e-gift from the always... <laughs> even, even I've shocked myself. Uh, I sort of reminded myself in real time that we do these lovely e-gifts uh, at alwaysbecomedy.com slash gifts. 
Um, have a very Merry Christmas and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye-bye-bye. <laughs>